Good morning. Uh, thank you all for coming back. Uh, and uh, it's great to see you all again. We're going to study at John chapter 1, 35 to 51 uh, today. Uh, it's it's going to be more like a, uh, should I say, I, I won't say a lecture, but more of a talk than uh, a, a pure uh, gospel preaching. So we'll just uh, interact a little bit, and we'll just uh, look into this uh, passage <clears throat> and see how it relates to you and, and, and you know, that it's got to be applicable in your own situation, in your own life. So turn with me to John chapter 1, 35 to 51. This is rather a long passage, but uh, let's read this uh, together. This is God's word. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus uh, as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the ninth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Uh, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was uh, from Bethesda, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is reading of God's word. Uh, last night I talked about uh, what it means to be a church, that, uh, that the mystery that was hidden for ages is now revealed through the revelation of uh, the prophets and, and, and words. Uh, it was revealed to the Apostle Paul, and it's, it's revealed to us that the mystery is the uh, togetherness of God's people, whether you, what, whatever background you come from, that uh, we're all in Jesus Christ, and that is displayed through this glorious, glorious body of Jesus, the bride of Christ, the international community called the church. And the church is actually the bride of Jesus because it is the mystery of Jesus. It's in him we find this wonderful community, that we are called to community, that we see ourselves being called into a community, and, and not just to have uh, an individual relationship uh, with Jesus, that uh, we're all called to have relationship with one another. Uh, notice uh, in this passage that each disciple cannot be with him without at the same time being with the other disciples. Uh, that, uh, that Jesus didn't disciple people one-on-one -on, -one on a series of appointments. He created a new family. When we think about discipleship, the first thing that comes to most people's mind is a discipleship program. Uh, that, uh, that we Americans have a um, sense of efficiency, and we like to be efficient, so we have one-on-one -on -one discipleship program. And we exported that to 
All the countries, especially in Korea, and they all have one-on-one discipleship. But we see here in the text that Jesus does not have one-on-one, but he has one and many. That it's through a community, it's through a family. Uh, He created a new family of Jesus Christ. So it's not just your relationship with Jesus that matters. And I keep repeating this over and over and over again. But it's the relationship with you and relationship with others. You see. To come into relationship with Christ is automatically to be brought into a new family with people who ordinarily uh, with whom you would not associate. Notice here, Matthew, uh, one of the disciples, was a tax collector, a Roman collaborator. He was a Roman collaborator. He's a tax collector. And Simon the Zealot, someone uh, working uh, f- uh, for the uh, overthrow of the Roman power establishment. So here is Matthew working for Roman government, and here is Simon who's working to overthrow that government. And Jesus says, Simon and Matthew, you follow me, and you're to stick together. Uh, what kind of sense of humor is that from Jesus? This is incredible. That's what discipleship is all about. See, discipleship is not about just your Bible memory, memorizing your Bible verses so you can have meals at a retreat center. You know, that's, it's just not that. And, and, and I'm sure that many of you have experienced that when, you, when you're in youth group or something. That uh, discipleship is, is not just, just you know, reading, and, and it's, it's that, but it's more. It's not just you having your, uh, what, what Christians call a QT. These Christians have called this QT. They say, they say it's quiet time or quality time or, or devotion or private worship where we're where, 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 where taught to read a scripture and, and to observe, to interpret, to apply, and, and to write journal. And I still do it. It doesn't mean you don't do it. I still do it. But it's more than that, you see. It's much more than your quiet time. That you're associating with people. It's about relationship. Discipleship is about relationship. It's about coming together uh, with, with other people. Uh, that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, if you weren't linked to Christ, that you would not normally associate with. Because Christ is a center set. And there, there are all these bounded sets. But Christ is a center set, and, and you're, you're all attracted to Jesus. And that's how you're connected together. Now, what's it mean to be a disciple? This is a word that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Discipleship, what's it mean to be a disciple? I ask this question to myself. After about, you know, 30 years of ministry and 25 years of ordained uh, ministry as an ordained minister, uh, I, uh, I sometimes wonder... Am I a true disciple of Jesus? Am I just a professional minister that, uh, that I'm, am I just a church employee that, uh, that my church pays me well and uh, that it's stable? And I, and I sometimes ask, and I ask my wife and Candace and I, we sit and we, we talk about this stuff. You know, uh, uh, are, we, are we truly true disciples of Jesus Christ? What's it mean to be a disciple? I think I know what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be whatever, you know, professional minister. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, a disciple of Jesus is, simply put, is a follower. That's what a disciple means, a follower. A disciple of Jesus follows Jesus. But, but a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus, that's first point, but a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus with other followers. That's the second point. And I have just two points today. But these are long two points. And we're called to follow Jesus. Jesus comes to Philip and he says this, follow me, simple. Follow me. 
he already knew Philip, these two disciples. Uh, one of them is Andrew, and the other one probably is John, because he doesn't mention his name. And probably in, in the, uh, you know, if you're an author, I was talking to a, uh, we were having a discussion about this very text with my small group, and there's a, there's a lady uh, in my church. She, she's an author. She's, uh, she's uh, you know, uh, 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 German descent, you know, European uh, American uh, author who comes to our church and, and, and comes to my small group, my house, and and we were talking about this, and, and she says, as an author, you know, you wouldn't put your name there, and you would just, you know, hide yourself uh, with other people. And, 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 and that's the literary uh, policy, I guess, or, 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 or rule that the authors have. And that's exactly what happened here. John is, is saying this. And there's this disciple, Andrew, and the other that is not mentioned is John. He name, doesn't name himself. Uh, and, and these two guys had already heard about Jesus. Andrew and John already heard about Jesus. Uh, John had been teaching them about Jesus, John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, right before this passage, was talking about, Behold the Lamb of God. This is Jesus. And, and the people who follow John the Baptist, John the Apostle and Andrew, they heard about Jesus. And they knew that Jesus is the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of this world. So these two people knew Jesus, already believed in Jesus, and knew who he was. But it's so not until this point that Jesus turns around and he says this, follow me. When you see this, this is interesting. I want you to consider this. As we, as we talk about this and as we go on, will you keep this question in your mind? Is it possible you are somebody who hangs around Jesus, who has gathered around Jesus, who likes Jesus. Could it be that you're a fan of Jesus? It could be that you're an interested observer of Jesus, but you've never responded to his call to follow. There are a lot of people. And this is what Jesus says, I don't want a crowd. I want disciples. These two guys knew about Jesus. These two guys believed in Jesus. These two guys heard of Jesus. And still, Jesus says, follow me. Is it possible that we, some of you never responded to that call? That you like Jesus, you think he's cool, you think he's all right, it wouldn't hurt to follow. It wouldn't hurt to believe Jesus. It would be good, actually, to, to provide to our children the, uh, the conservative moral values or religious values. It would be good. Jesus was, you know, a nonviolent, pretty straightforward, a good person. There are lots of reasons why people hang around Jesus without becoming his disciples. One reason is some people like crowds. There's always a crowd around Jesus. Especially these days, I think it's okay to be in the crowd, but, but this, this is where, where, where you, you got to kind of like think about uh, your, your real relationship with this person of Jesus. People like crowd. And a lot of people have this FOMO these days, you know? And especially young people. I don't, I don't even think it's just limited to young people. It's older people. Sometimes I have FOMO. Those of you who are like, what's FOMO? Uh, FOMO is fear of missing out. That's, uh, that's what a lot of uh, young people uh, say these days, FOMO. Sometimes we have fear of missing out. We want to be in the crowd. We like to be invited to things. We like to be invited. We, we, we like to have our children invite to their children's friends' birthday parties. And we're really concerned if your kid is not invited. Would you be concerned? Some, some New Yorkers, they, they'll go to their house and say, why did you invite my son, you know, and they pick a fight. But, uh, but I don't know what you do here. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, you, 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 want, you want to be in the crowd. So they like to be in there. And that's why many people hang around Jesus. 
and hang around church. They don't care about real experience, real life. They don't care about the person of Jesus. They just like the crowd. A lot of people hang around Jesus because they're guilty. A lot of people hang around because there are things in the life that they feel guilty for. A lot of people have told, uh, you know, that you, you shouldn't feel guilty and, and you, you want to get rid of this guilt and you want to somehow, you know, relieve of this guilt. And then a lot of people pay like $120 an hour to go and, 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 and have somebody tell you that you're okay. So you hang around and you study and you do Christian service and you come to worship with a desperate need to feel that you're all right. The more you suffer, the more all right you are. And, and, and that's, that's kind of background I, I, I come from. You know, I, I'm looking out here and it's like I almost feel guilty for uh, enjoying this kind of... Uh, uh, environment. We should all suffer for Jesus. And, and, and then after that, you feel like, oh, yeah, I've done a good retreat. <laughs> Jesus says, this isn't good enough. Just hang around for a miracle. Hang around for a blessing. I don't want people who just believe in me. I don't want people who like me. I don't want fans I want disciples. I don't want curiosity seekers. I want followers. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to follow me. That's what Jesus is calling you today. As you begin this new chapter, why are you in it? Why are you in Revived Presbyterian Church? Why are you in it? When Jesus calls his disciples, he's saying, make me your highest priority. Make me primary. Make me number one. That's what it means to follow. You see, to follow somebody means that you have to leave somewhere. You can't follow without leaving. You follow somebody means you can't stay where you are. You can't stay in the spot you were before. Jesus means when he says, follow me, as he says, your other primary relationships will change. Perhaps your job will change. Perhaps your thinking will change. Perhaps your worldview has to change. Perhaps your values got to change. Perhaps your priorities have to change. I have to be your primary number one. That's a daring challenge. That's what it means to be a disciple. Not to be in a program where you memorize a couple of verses. I'm not undermining that. I think people should memorize their Bible verses. Even for dinner, not just for lunch, for dinner. I'm all for it. But there has to be a change. How do you relate? How do you relate to Jesus? Do you say something like, now listen, Lord Jesus, uh, I don't want to deal with you every day. I don't want to <laughs> revolve all my life around you. That's kind of like for losers. But when I need you, I want you to be there. When I have a problem... I want you to answer my prayers. In other words, don't call me, I'll call you. Is it possible you could relate to somebody like that, like this, personally, and act toward Jesus like that? Jesus says, I have to be your primary number one, and I will not be your consultant. I have to be your Lord. But so many of us, Jesus is a good consultant. We hired him. We put a couple bucks, or a couple hundred bucks, or a couple thousand bucks, 
in the envelope. Give it and says, whenever I need you, Jesus, you got to show up. What do I do when I'm struggling with children, relationship, work? If, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, you suffer for a while. And then when you're really desperate, like, you come begging on your knees. That's how I would respond. That's, and that's how I usually respond to our church people too and to our, <laughs> to our children. But this is, this is the thing about Jesus. This is something that I, I can't really relate to Jesus. This is the part I don't like about Jesus. Jesus will come every time though. Every time he still comes. Like he has no belly. Like he has no bone. Like... He's a weak sauce. Like he comes every time. That's what he does. And he still patiently challenges you. Follow me. You follow me. Jesus should not be just, just a life application for you, right? He can't be just life application. It can't be just a decoration in your life. You can't know him personally unless you're a disciple. Uh, you're kidding yourself if you think you can. A God who just hangs around and comes when you ring for him, I mean, that's just a God of your imagination. It can't be God. And God is a God who comes and he still confronts. He comes and still confronts. God who always comes and delivers still confronts. But he calls us to himself to follow. And then secondly, he says, call, he's calling us to follow Jesus in the context of community. This is a fun point. This is really fun. One of the things that's so interesting about this is John the Baptist leads Andrew and the other person, whoever it is, to Jesus. Andrew leads his brother Peter to Jesus. Philip leads Nathaniel to Jesus. When, when Philip says, come and see, what he says is, let's go together. Let's figure this out together. Come and see. I don't have all the answers, but you come and see. We're going to investigate this together. We're going to study this together. We're going to figure this out together. So this is really, really important point here. Of course, there are exceptions. There are always exceptions. But the rule is, in general, the way you find Jesus like this, the way to really come to see Jesus, to like, uh, the way really to know him personally is, is, is almost always through a friend. You're not going to find Jesus unless you've already found by a friend who has already found Jesus. You find Jesus through your friend. That's the rule of thumb. Of course, there are exceptions. There are exceptions where you're, you're sitting out here in the, you know, that uh, port of prayer tonight, like midnight, pitch dark, like it's 40 degrees outside, and you're just sitting there and praying, and God will just come and zap you in your heart and somehow. And, and there are things like that can happen. And uh, it would be, be so cool if that does really happen, if you're sitting out there. Uh, but normally speaking, you're invited to Jesus through a friend. Let me get really practical here. In my church, in my church, Living Faith Community Church, a lot of people come to our church through a friend. I planted a church 18 years ago, year 2000, in Flushing downtown. Started a church in, uh, in this high school called uh, Flushing High School. And then a year after, 9-11 hit, and the security had to be beefed up, and we got kicked out of school. And we went into a Jewish synagogue, and we're still there in the Jewish temple. Uh, well, you know, that's where Jesus started. That's where Apostle Paul started. So we might as well uh, be there in the Jewish synagogue. And then we worship, and they don't use this place, space on Sunday, so we have, you know, the space. And uh, we, we uh, do all the stuff there. In the first couple months, the first couple years, we had... A lot of visitors. 
I mean, just people just coming, visiting. And we have high turnover rate. Of course, this is New York. Younger people come. Not your church, but, but my experience, from my you know, uh, church experience at Living Faith Community Church, younger people come, and if they're like, you know, not more younger people, they stay and they hang out and get married. So, uh, so I did a lot of weddings because a lot of people got hooked up at church. Uh, and, uh, but they all came, not because we did some kind of publicity or anything, but it's, it, 99% is through an invitation from friend. a friend. A invited, hey, why don't you come? Come, this is a cool place. Come. When I was an EM pastor a long, long time ago, about, I don't know, about uh, 25, 24 years ago, I was an EM pastor of a Korean church. And it was a pretty thriving English ministry, pretty thriving in Queens. It was in Sunnyside, Queens, most, uh, most uh, ethnically diverse, one of the most ethnically diverse neighborhoods in America. Sunnyside, Woodside, you know, Long Island City, Jackson Heights, Elmhurst, that area. And uh, I remember one young man came to me and said, Pastor, I cannot invite my friend to come to this church. And I said, why? The heck, why? And, and he said, because he said, I'm embarrassed. I said, what? You're embarrassed to bring your friend to our church? He says, yeah. I always tell them, if they're interested in Christianity, I always tell them to go to Redeemer. <laughs> I go, okay, that's, I would too. <laughs> if I was a lay person, I'd go to Redeemer too. I'll listen to Tim Keller's sermon every Sunday. And, um, you know, that I can't argue with. So our church, somehow, it's just not friendly to people outside the church. We have this ghetto. We're in this ghetto, this bubble. Back then, we were in this bubble, ghetto, Christian ghetto, Korean Christian ghetto doing Korean Christian thing. Nothing wrong with doing Korean Christian thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a Korean and I'm a Christian. That's part of my identity. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but he couldn't invite uh, non-Koreans and non-Christians there because he says we're not cool enough. And ever since then, the, the mission of my philosophy ministry or whatever vision was like, how can I be a cool, how can I lead a cool church? <laughs> Here I am, uh, you know, an immigrant, trying to do a ministry to a bunch of cool people in New York. And how do I do it? I can't do it. There's limitation. There's limitation. And I, I always have to confess, almost like at least once a month I have to go up there and confess and, and share my limitations. I'm really sorry. I, I, I have to apologize for being a Korean guy. It's like so weird. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I have limitation. And I'm not as cool as many of you. There, we have a lot of cool people in our church. So, so people come because of other cool people. Definitely not because of a cool pastor. Pastor's not cool at all. Uh, matter of fact, I have three sons. They all grew up in our church. You know, So Christian, our oldest, uh, when he was about eight years old, nine years old, that's when we started, eight or nine. And then he came to me seriously. He says, he says, Appa, that's dad in Korean. Uh, he says, Appa, do you know why our church is not growing? <laughs> and I said, it, it is growing. What are you talking about? But it's not growing like Redeemer, Tim Keller. And I'm like, there you go again, comparing me to Tim Keller. But, but that's okay. He says, do you know why we're not growing? And I said, why? He says, your sermons are boring. <laughs> you got to make it fun. Now I have added mission statement. How can I make my sermon fun? <laughs> and you have to just make it short. <laughs> if you can't preach a good sermon, make it funny. If you can't make it funny, make it short. 
It'll work. But, uh, but I'm sure it's the case for you guys, too, that you come to this church through an invitation of your friends. And that's how it happens. And it may be hard to stay at your church if you don't have a friend in this church. For example, Living Faith Community Church, our church, people come. There are some people who just come because they've heard of us now. We've been there around 18 years, and you know people know about us now. So people just come on their own. But if they don't have friends, they can't stay. They'll just go. Because we are the most unfriendly church on the face of the earth. <laughs> no one will talk to you. I'm serious. And, and, and that's, that's our, you know, that's the nature of our church. We're just, we're just too cool for everyone else. And uh, there's, there's, one, there's one young man or a group of young men who came to our church who said, Pastor, I don't think we can stay in this church. We've been coming to this church for about three months, and uh, I, I think we've got to go. They're like, you know, uh, out of college, working, uh, and in between jobs and stuff like that. And, and I said, why? He says, uh, your church members are just too, like, successful. <laughs> too good. Like, jobs and families and nice homes. And, I mean, I mean we can't fit here. And everyone's so functional. And people like us who come from dysfunctional families, we can't fit in this church. Because you all sit together, mom and dad, children sit together and worship, and they interact, and they talk, and, and you're like, and I said, and I, and I shared this in my church on, during Sunday service. And I said, this is what I heard from this young man who used to come to our church, and then he came with a bunch of his friends, and they all left. And this is what he said. He says, you look too happy, you look too functional, you look too all together. And I said, I know all of you, don't I? I did your marriage counseling. I did your children counseling. I did your personal counseling. You're all a mess. But how do you act so well? How do you act so well that these people think you're all together? All together. We got to be real. We're broken people. It's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So that we can come together and experience renewal from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's experience for many of you here probably. And those of you who come regularly, those of you who come to a revived church regularly, 99 times out of 100, or 9 times out of 10, something I, I, don't, I don't know, you're, you're not going to be able to really process what you hear from your preacher. Here, definitely my church, but I don't know about this church. But I don't think it's going to be that different. We have, I shared this in the breakfast time too, and we have sixth graders end up worshiping together. So sixth graders, you know, from their children's ministry, they come, and all of our children worship together in the beginning. They're all there together, everybody, like, except for kids in nursery. Everybody's there, like two toddler class. We have two toddler classes, two to, two, two to three-year-old classes. And these all kids come, and they all worship together. We call to worship and have everything together. Uh, testimony and prayer and everything together, and offering everything. And right before I preach, uh, fifth graders and, and down, they all get dismissed, and sixth graders sit in the worship service. And I preach to sixth graders, to person in their, you know, uh, people in their 60s, 70s. And parents come to me and say, Pastor, my sixth grader, seventh grader, he, he, he has or she has a hard time understanding your sermon. Why, do we, why can't we just create a separate youth service like how I grew up? I grew up in a separate youth ministry. Why do we have to all worship together? Because can't understand your sermon. And this is my response. Do you understand all my sermons? <laughs> I 
Do you, are you able to process everything? No, we can't. And, and I'm not expecting you to. You forget anyway what I preach. And I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming you for forgetting it. You don't remember what I preached last Sunday? I don't blame you because I don't remember either. <laughs> I really can't unless I do series. I forget. I forget what I read. I forget what I hear. I thought I heard it from this kind, this person, that person, and this woman, that, that, this man, but, but I forget. It's okay. We're not blaming you for that. And that's why we need a community of people coming together to process this together. That's why we have groups. That's why we have relationships. That's why you have, on the way back home, in your car, you don't just talk about the music. You don't just talk about the pastor's tie. You don't just talk about, you know, what he said. You talk about actually what you heard from the sermon from youth, and, 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 and that's how you process together. Things I miss. I heard from my son. Things I miss. I hear from my wife. Things my wife misses. I share. And we process it together in a small group, too. So we have small group every week, weekdays. I lead one on Wednesday in my house. And I write about five to six questions based on my sermon, and we discuss sermon. You see, since Christianity is an encounter with a person, the main way you'll see the Bible over and over again is that you really, really go through with your friends. That's how you do it. If it was a philosophy, you're saved by yourself, then maybe the main way you could do it is just have just great teacher just tell you the concept, and then you memorize, and you understand the concept. But that's not what the gospel message is all about. It's an encounter with a person, and you talk about that person. You talk about saying things that you miss about that person from other persons, and you relate together, you see. If you don't have friends who are helping you to process, then we're not going to grow. And that's why we need to come together. Unless your friends, a couple of steps ahead of you spiritually and a couple of friends right with you spiritually and a couple of friends behind you spiritually, you can't come and see. And that's what the, this is what the disciples are saying. Come and see. Let's process it together. So do you have that kind of relationship in your church? That's what you've got to have. Revive Presbyterian Church coming together. A new chapter. Committing to Christ but committing to one another. I'm interested in this brothers. I'm interested in the, this uh, sister's growth. That's why I say this in my church. Like, you know, I'm, a lot of times I have to ask for forgiveness before I say these radical things. But I truly believe this. I say, if you're not in a group, you're not in this church. You're not part of the church if you're not part of the group. If you just come to church on Sunday, this is what I say in my church. I, this, I'm not talking about your church. I'm not your pastor. And you're like, oh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> my church, I say this. If you're not part of a group, you're not part of the church. Really, think about it. And we stress, we stress covenant promises. We stress promise, covenant, commitment. And everything, everything is based on covenant. When you sign a contract, when you buy a home, that's a covenant, that's a contract. When you get married, you sign a contract, that's a covenant you're making. When I got naturalized to become an American citizen, I made a promise. You get a job. You write a contract, you, you make a promise. When you join a church, you make a promise. So we teach five hours of membership class in our church. That's one of my favorite things to do. I teach membership class, Intro to Living Faith Seminar, five hours. Because to become a member of a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America, I, 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 I guess that's where you're headed. And, and I know Pastor Susang is part of 
Presbyterian Church of America. I'm part of Presbyterian Church of America. Uh, to be a member of a PCA church, you have to assent to five promises. To be a member of PCA church. So I go over these five promises. And then after I teach, on their initiative, they have to call our office, call my administrator, and set up an interview. So our one deacon, one elder, would interview a couple or a person. And they would sit like this and say, oh, how are you? I understand that you're requesting to be a member of our church. Good. We go over some of this stuff, and I write down the questions, and they go over these questions. And then after that interview, an elder deacon, the interviewer, they would fill out a form that I created, and they send it to session members. And during our session member, eight elders, we come together, and we say, all right, let's receive this person as a member, receive this person as a member, and then we call them. Our administrator will email them and say, congratulations, you've been approved to be a member of our church. We always say this in our membership class, you don't decide to become our church member, we decide. That's what church leadership and accountability is all about. And in New York, people are like, the heck? <laughs> what, what do you think you are? And I'm like, I'm so uncool, FOB, but this church is a glorious body of Jesus, pure bride of Jesus Christ, and you're going to be part of it. And then they say, okay, and then we have them come up to the front. They all stand in the front, and I ask them these five promises. Now do you promise to one, two, three, four, five? And they all say yes, and I pronounce them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that they are members of Living Faith Community Church, Presbyterian Church in America. And they get a little certificate. And if it's a baby, we get a little uh, baby Bible. And then they become a member. And then they have to fold the chairs on that Sunday. (laughs) Because they're not guests anymore. (laughs) If you're not a member, if you're not in a small group, you're not part of our church. Let me just say a word for a second to those who don't so much need a friend to help you find more Jesus. There are people who really don't need that. I mean, everyone's different. Uh, There are different pathways to connect Jesus. There are people who connect to God through singing. There are people who connect to God through nature. There are people who connect to God just reading the Bible or just hearing lectures or with conversations. But there are people who don't need a whole lot of friends. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm sufficient. I'm okay. And that's fine. That's who you are. That's how God wired you. But can I, can I just say that some of you have an awful lot to offer and you're not finding anybody for Jesus. If you want to know finally how you can be effective, invite others to your church and say, come and see. Invite others. Invite your friends. What are you doing Sunday morning? Come and see what kind of cool people we have here. Look at the first disciples of Jesus. They follow Jesus, but they follow Jesus with others. Come and see means you can get in. Come and see means I can't even begin to describe what is going to happen in your life if you come and follow him. Some of you might say, well, so how do I get in? I have to change my life, obey the Bible, I have to stop smoking, stop drinking. No. Our elders are all into smoking cigars and pipes and drinking. So uh, it's like weird culture for me because I grew up in a 
very legalistic Korean church. So now I learn how to drink too. <laughs> so how do I get in? How do you get into this? You have to study the Bible. You have to know the Bible. You have to do this. You have to... The key to getting in, this is very important. This is the most important thing I'm going to say today. Most important thing. So this is the time when you have to wake up. The key to getting in is not to do anything. Please don't do anything. I have a Korean church. I'm a a senior pastor of an English church, and that's the main congregation, and, and... in my church, I have a smaller Korean congregation, and all our elders are English-speaking, and our English-speaking elders oversee Korean church. It's the flip side of a lot of other Korean churches, because I, you know, I just want to say, now it's your turn, you know. Uh, but uh, Lord, forgive me for my <laughs> my bitterness. But anyway, I'm over. I'm over. I'm over. Uh, so it's, we have Korean congregation. And I preach there. I preach there every Sunday. And I always tell them, don't do anything. I'm going to speak Korean, just one sentence Korean. Uh, the slogan for our Korean congregation is this, Oba Haji Malja. Oh, some of you understand this. Oh, that's good. Some of you understand it. means do not go overboard. Or don't try, to, don't try so hard. There you go. Don't try so hard. And I say, please don't do anything. We're not going to have a choir. We're not going to have people policing kitchen. We're not going to have parking crew. Don't do anything. You just come and worship and then go home. And people come to our church. Don't do anything. How do you get to Jesus? How do you follow Jesus? Don't do anything. I want you to look at Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel, and I'm going to close with this. I have already spent too much time, and, and thank you for your patience. I, I really mean it. Thank you. And, and I'll close with this. This is the last point. I'm going to, it's going to be very short. Because this is for, for, the, for those of you who are interested in Bible study, and this is for Bible nerds, uh, like, a, like a seminary grad or, or, or somebody like that, uh, our famous youth pastor, Frank. Uh, you're famous because I know you now. Uh, uh, look at Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel. The section of the conversation is all about Jesus. Jesus shows his supernatural knowledge about his people, right? He knows all about us. His statement in verse 50, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's a solemn affirmation stating the authoritative nature and the importance of Jesus' pronouncement. The expression is found about 25 times in the gospel according to John. Truly, truly, I say to you. That's 25 times in the, according to, uh, in the gospel according to John. Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, all 25 times, he means, I am God. That's what he means, basically. And he says, you're a true Israelite. You are the true Israelite. And John, watching Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel and recording this, and he's picking up, lot, there was a lot of conversation going on, but he's picking up this conversation that, where Jesus says, you're true to Israelite, there's no deceit. And you think, you think you're going to follow me because I saw you under the fig tree. But you will see a son of man ascending and descending on a ladder. Does that remind you of anyone, Bible nerds? Who? Who does that remind you of? Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob's new name before Jacob was what? Israel. What was Jacob's name? What what does that mean? What does uh, Jacob mean? Deceiver. Jesus is making this. Jesus says, Jacob was a deceiver. You're not a deceiver. 
Jacob was a deceiver. You're not a deceiver. You are a true Israelite. There's no deceit in you. You're a true Israelite. You're the after Jacob. But, this is what he's saying. I am the latter. You will see Son of Man going back and forth. It's not that I am on the top of the ladder and then you have to climb up. It's not that I'm on the bottom of the ladder and I'm going to push you up. I am the ladder. I am the one. You come onto me. You see. Jesus does not say, try hard and you'll get to that ladder. Jesus says, try hard and you will climb over that ladder. Jesus says, I am that ladder. I am that ladder that Jacob climbed on. I am the ladder that you will climb on because you're the true Israelite. There's no deceit. You, I'm going to give it to you straight up. I am the ladder. How are you going to ever get up there? Jesus doesn't say they're ascending to the Son of Man. He says they're ascending on the, the Son of Man. He doesn't say, I just set down the ladder, just try hard, try your best. He says, I am the ladder. I came to bring you to God. I came all the way down. Trust me. Follow me. If you do, you get in. And Jesus is inviting you. Come and follow me. Follow me, because I am that ladder. And upon him, we will have everything. And I hope you can invite others to this ladder. I hope you can invite others to uh, revive Presbyterian Church to see Jesus where you can process Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, your, your kind invitation and your solemn exhortation. and your gracious command to follow. And we hear the voices of disciples. And we hear Philip, Andrew, saying to his friends, come and see. I hope that could be the voice of people here, inviting their friends to come and see the glorious person of Jesus, the wonderful person of Jesus, the gracious, kind person of Jesus and his work. I pray that Revive Presbyterian Church can really experience new life, renewal, revival by seeing, experiencing, and tasting the Lord Jesus. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.